afternoon at 4 o'clock. And the second is that it's good news. God's work is growing all over the world. And often when we hear about Bangladesh, we tend to think of bad news. It's famine, it's stress, it's trouble. Well, in a part of Bangladesh, God's, God's been at work. A bunch of people have been converted, and now in a village, they're getting on for a hundred that are working together. The charity that we're supporting this month is World in Need, and in particular, we're supporting an appeal to be, help build a church and a schoolroom for these believers. Total cost is about £6,000, and they're about halfway there so far. So it's a good cause. As we turn to worship God, we're praying in our first song, we're praying that the God who is full of everything good will help us to worship Him now. Hoping the words, there we go. So when music starts, let that sound and sing, come and sound of every blessing to my God. Yes, we're on. Well, last Sunday, um, we had the dramatic events of Jesus being arrested in the garden. 
and how the powers of darkness seem to be in control. And we're carrying on from that as we read in Luke chapter 22, and we're starting our reading at verse 54. And you'll notice in the reading, as you have a look at it, that you'll see there's a really big difference between two characters that we come across. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When the day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it from his own lips. So John's going to be speaking to us uh, from this passage later. But now we're going to sing. Then after that, Mark's got a, a message for the children. So let's stand and sing from the squalor of a borrowed stable.
Would you be all right to be a sort of backstop? <laughs> so, okay, so if you stand there, all right, and you've got to try and get as close to the yellow as you can. Okay, not bad. Not a bad attempt. Who else wants to go? Come on in. Go on, give it a go. Feeling confident? Ooh, just missed. Go on then. See how we go with this one. Ooh, right, who's going to hit the board first? Go on then, Katie. Give it a go. Oh, good shot. Not quite good enough, I'm afraid. Does anyone else want to go? Yeah, go on him. See how you get on. Oof. Yeah, there. That was a quick one. Didn't really take much time. Come on then. Concentrate. A little bit of con- Really aim for this. Okay. <sighs> Close. One last. Yeah, do you want to go? Come on in. There you go. Give it a big throw. Ooh, good throw. Go on then. One more. Okay, oof. Well, I wondered if we'd need some video replays, but we didn't particularly, because we all missed, didn't we? We're all aiming for the bullseye. Maybe some of you couldn't see, especially if you're at home, but a lot of them missed by quite a long way. It's quite hard. I had a little practice this morning, and I didn't do very well either. And, you know, it reminds me, this is a a bit of a, a picture, you see. This is a bit of a picture of, if I can get it off, of God's laws. God's laws. There you go. The way God wants us to live, to be like him, and for us to be happy. And you know, all of us try uh, completing God's laws, obeying God, living his way. We all try, some of us harder than others, but you know, we all fail. And this is what the Bible tells us. This is what it says. Some of you will recognise this verse. This is in the book of Romans in the New Testament and it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone sinned. So just like all of us missed the target, all of us have not obeyed God's laws. We've all failed. And you know, that includes someone like this. Now, this has got an M on it. Who do you think that is? Who? It's not Matthew. Bit closer. Yeah. Mark. This is me. Yeah. And, you know, in my life, sadly, there have been many times when I've tried to hit the target, tried to obey God, and you know what often happens? I fall short. I, I, I can't hit the bullseye. I can't do it. And you know what? It says all, all of sin, doesn't it? So that includes people like Abraham. And Abraham missed. And that includes people like Moses. And Moses tried to obey God, and he failed too. And that includes people like Hannah. And Hannah tried to hit the target, and she missed. And it includes people like David. And David loved God. And yet, if any of you heard what was happening last Sunday evening, you'll know that David missed too. We all miss the target. All of us have sinned, and we've done what's wrong in God's eyes. Well, I say everyone, everyone apart from, nice easy answer, Jesus. Jesus is the only one who has ever hit the target, the bullseye. He's the only one that has ever obeyed God perfectly. And you know what we need to do? The Bible tells us. What we need to do is we need to say sorry to God. And say, sorry God, we've broken your laws, we've lied, and it's meant that we haven't been good enough. We've, We've gossiped and it meant that we haven't been good enough. We haven't loved God like we should and that's meant we haven't been good enough. We've missed the target. 
And we need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. Please forgive me. But you know what we can do? We can say, Jesus, please can you do it for us? Please can you do it for us? And you know, Jesus hits the bullseye for us. And so when God looks at us, it's as if we've hit the bullseye and we've perfectly obeyed God. Isn't that amazing? So that's what Jesus does and that's why we think Jesus is so special. So I'm going to pray quickly and then I'm going to send you back to your seats. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you obeyed God the Father perfectly. Lord, you always loved him with all of your heart, soul, strength and mind. And Lord, we haven't. Lord, we've, we've missed the target. We've broken your rules. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. And I pray that each and every one of us here, Lord, would give it to Jesus to do it for us. And Lord, that because of Jesus, we would be seen as perfect in your eyes. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lovely. Thanks for listening, guys. Lord our God, we do thank you that your word tells us that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you're here with us. And as we come to the God who made heaven and earth, the one who rules over everything, we know so much that we need your help. So Lord, we pray that you'll help us to pray. We pray you'll teach us to pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that we don't have to come with some sort of magic formula of words to be accepted by our Father in heaven. That there's no ceremony that we have to stand on, but each of us can come to you just as we are. With only one thing to claim. That Jesus hit the target, that Jesus paid the price, that He loved us and gave himself for us so that whoever trusts in him can be accepted in your family, can be counted as if they'd never sinned, can be given the gift of your Holy Spirit and can look forward to being with you forever. Oh Lord, we're so different, but we are so glad that whether we're the youngest here or the oldest, whether we're the happiest or the saddest, that is true for us. That we can come, despite our failures, but because of Jesus. Oh Lord, we we come to you now as people who need your help. We need your help to live like you want us to. We need your help with the challenges of everyday life. Oh Lord, we pray that you will help us to love people. Not just the good, the nice and the lovely, but that incredible example that you set us of loving our enemies oh Lord we pray that you'll give us a heart that that seeks the best for people and we pray that you will refresh our hearts so that we appreciate you more and so that we love you more than things so that we love you more than the activities that give us pleasure so that we look forward to being with you forever. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering, whether they're suffering from loneliness, or whether they're suffering in their mind, or whether they're suffering in hospital, 
or whether they're suffering from stress because of all that's happening in their lives, or whether they're grieving. Oh Lord, you, you know each one of us. And we thank you that you tell us to cast our cares, to bring our problems to you, to leave our problems with you because you care for us. Oh Lord, we, we thank you that you promise not to give us a stone when we ask for bread. You promise not to give us bad things, but you promise to give us good things. And you encourage us to ask you for what we need. Oh Lord, we thank you that there is real joy in knowing you. And we pray that you will help us to know that joy and for that joy to overflow in our lives. Oh Lord, help us as we share that joy with others. Lord, we thank you for the things that have happened this week, whether it's First Tuesday or First Steps or Rooted or Sunday School. And we pray that the folk who heard about you, the folk who mixed with us, would have been given an appetite to know you. Oh Lord, we pray that you will be speaking and you will be working. And Lord, we pray that you'll be helping us to be looking for opportunities to share the joy that we know in you. And we pray that we'll be knowing that joy more and more and more. Oh Lord, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that Jesus stood up and told the people the truth. We thank you that Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father now, pleading for each one of his children. And we pray that as the passage we're looking at deals with failure and with glory, oh Lord, we pray that you'll really help John to speak to us and you'll help us to listen. And we ask, Lord, that the good seed of your good word will go into our lives and change us so we are more like Jesus after what we heard. Amen. So, our next, our next hymn invites us, in our mind's eye, to think about what the crucifixion meant, to think about the reality of these events. So let's stand, come and sing, come and see.
Well, we leave the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of anguish, the place of arrest that we were thinking of last week. And we follow the authorities taking Jesus to the house of the high priest in Jerusalem. Uh, We can't be certain of the exact place, but there's a a good case for it being at uh, the site of the church of St. Peter in Galacantu. If you go there now, as you can do in Jerusalem, there is an ancient staircase by the side of the church, which is thought goes back to the time of Jesus. There is a dungeon underneath the church which has been uncovered, which may well have been used by Jesus on that night. One of the most thought-provoking parts of our trip to Israel was to be down there. I remember that both our guides were in tears down in that dungeon as they read parts of the Bible and thought about what Jesus went through on this night of suffering in detention. Well, three things are recorded by Luke uh, in the vicinity of this area. Luke has less detail than um, some of the other Gospels, but there are some distinctive uh, things, powerful aspects and emphases which are in the Gospel account of Luke. And I hope we can go forward with thoughtfulness and with tenderness as we think of some of these episodes in this Gospel. We shall be spending most time on the first of the three of these uh, events that Luke tells us about in the rest of chapter 22 then from verses 54 to 71. And in the first we have this occurring, we have denying, we have denying in verses 54 to 62. Well, it's been across the national news, hasn't it, for weeks, uh, snippets of the failings of uh, some of our national leaders and figures, and the country has wanted to know what's really happened at number 10 over the last two years and in the area of Whitehall. And perhaps understandably, those involved haven't really wanted others to know of what's gone on and of their failings. Well, one of the early Christian leaders was Peter. Yet the Bible is very plain about his failing. In all four Gospels, you get a lot of information about the failing of Peter and, in fact, of the other disciples. It's one of the things that points to the fact that the New Testament records are not made up, they're not fiction, because they are so honest about the failings of key figures. And as we look at that here in the life of Peter, we find that it is sad, we find that it's insightful, and maybe we also find that to some degree it's actually comforting. Christianity is for failures. Jesus is for failures. We don't encourage failure. We don't justify failure. But we acknowledge failure. Christianity is for failures. Jesus is for failures. Perhaps you didn't realise that. Maybe it will encourage you to think about that this morning. One of the great sayings in the Bible, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 Those who have missed the target. Those who have failed God and those who have failed others and Christ came for sinners, for failures. Peter failed in his loyalty, his faithfulness, his courage. Peter lied Peter disowned Jesus. He let Jesus down badly. Lots could be said about the denying that uh, Peter does uh, in this passage, but I want to focus on three particular things in his denying. Unexpected. Was it unexpected? In many ways it was unexpected. In many ways it was unexpected. 
Peter was the first in the Gospel of Luke to be called a disciple. He heads up the list of the disciples in Luke. He is the one who comes to get that Jesus is the Christ. Peter was on the mountaintop and saw the glory of Jesus. He was with two of the other disciples getting special eyewitness vision of Jesus in his majesty and indeed of other miracles which Jesus did. He had only earlier said that he would never fail Jesus. In a rather reckless moment of bravery, in the last hour or so, he wielded his sword in defence of Jesus. And he'd even followed Jesus here, albeit at a distance. And yet, in the high priest's courtyard, First, at the comments of a servant girl, he buckles and disassociates himself from Jesus. The man who would do battle with soldiers crumbles at the words of a maid. The Bible says, Beware you who stand and who think you stand, lest you fall. We need to be very wary of imagining that we're invincible, of thinking that because of our Christian background or our Christian busyness, that it exempts us from dangers and it exempts us from temptation. Satan is described later on in the Bible as a a, a prowling, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, he may consume. And you know who describes him that way later on? Peter. He knew the experience of it. So it's a warning to us. In many ways it's unexpected. Peter, the one who fails and falls. And yet, you may have answered that question slightly differently in another sense. Of course it is expected because Jesus had predicted it and he'd said it as we saw in a couple of weeks and there is a comfort that even in our failures they're under the overall sway and authority of the Lord Jesus. Unexpected. Repeated. Repeated. Um, Repeated failure feels more serious normally than one-off failure, doesn't it? Less excusable, normally. When we find that the police are investigating 12 parties at Downing Street, you feel less sympathetic than if it had been one, probably. Well, it's the servant girl who stumbles Peter first. They're around the fire. We don't know what Peter looks like, but that's a possible picture of somebody like a Peter around the fire. Peter round the fire, keeping warm in the cold spring night in Jerusalem. Um, The light of the fire is just enough uh, for her to pick out the facial features of Peter. And this is what she says in verse 56. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said... This man also was with him, with with Jesus. Peter's denial is straight. There's no messing. It's not just a, a distancing from Jesus, if you like. It is a denial of Jesus. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Time elapses. Somebody else there sees Peter, verse 58. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Disassociates himself with Jesus. Doesn't know Jesus. Isn't one of his followers. Another hour passes. What, what, what goes through his mind, do you think, in that hour as he sits around the fire, 
chatting to others. Thinks about what's happened already. Peter's talking with others. And he has an accent. Been on a conference this week and listened to different things. I heard some different voices. I thought, hmm, yeah, he's from Yorkshire. Yeah, she's, she's from Lancashire. Yeah, I reckon he's from Scotland. Their northern accents gave them away. And Peter has a northern accent. He speaks as a Galilean. And it, it makes them link him with Jesus. A third person says emphatically in verse 59, and after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. The other Gospels tell us his accent gave him away. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Repeated. Perhaps you look back at uh, times when you distanced yourself uh, from Jesus. You didn't say you were a follower when you were. You tried to make it seem it was all pretty unimportant to you. Perhaps to friends you lied about the fact that you went to church. Perhaps at school you made it seem as though it was only because your parents went and you had to go as well. Uh, Perhaps at work you kept quiet when really it was very obvious that something should have been said or an answer should have been given. I guess many of us look back with Shame on times when we were ashamed. And perhaps you've done it several times. Several times fear has led to disowning Jesus, distancing Jesus, denying Jesus. Perhaps there are other failures that haunt you, not just disowning Jesus. Uh, And those other failures are repeated. At this conference we uh, sat at at the table with uh, uh, a man and his wife and then the last uh, year or two they've started a charity um, called Free Recovery. It has a website, Free Recovery. And it's especially to help Christians caught in addictions. caught in addictions of all sorts as, uh, as he, the man, had himself been caught in uh, a number of addictions in his life. He runs a, a group at the moment for, for men ensnared with um, pornography, of which I guess is a problem for, for thousands. And... I suspect that uh, to different degrees the sort of tentacles of uh, that uh, ensnaring problem and sin will be affecting people here. Repeated. Well, we may not continually battle and stumble uh, as an addict, but we look back at repeated failure of different sorts in our lives. Uh, one of the verses that uh, they, he said they quote in their training sessions, uh, their group sessions quite early on, is from Romans 7 verse 15, where Paul, as a Christian now I, I believe, says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And he says, they get it. They, they, they hear that and they think, yeah, that's, that's what life is like for me. And we can all relate to that to different degrees and can echo it. So it was very sadly repeated failure for Peter. This denying was also curtailed. Praise God, 
it, just, it doesn't just sort of nosedive unstoppably downwards. St. Peter, Galacantu means uh, cock crow. Galacantu means cock crow. And it, it is the cock crow that breaks the descent for Peter. He hears the cock's crow and he recalls the words of Jesus and he comes to his senses. And in the account that Luke gives us, we have um, two specific details that are exclusive to Luke. And the first one is in verse 61. And, and immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster, the cock crowed, verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Jesus was able to see Peter. Uh, There was eye contact possible there on the um, high priest's complex, if you like. And Jesus looks to Peter. What what, what was in that look? We don't know. There's another church at Sinai, I understand, where they have a a statue of Jesus and and they have a stern eye and a and a teared eye to reflect the seriousness of Jesus' concern, but the sympathy he shows. Well, I imagine certainly from what surrounds all this that it was at least love, yeah, loving concern, but there was love in the look from the Saviour to Peter after he had failed these repeated times. And that look of um, Jesus to Peter seems to be transformative and a sense of the look of Christ to us in our failure and his loving concern can be transformative. The second aspect that Luke records, not in the other Gospels, I, I think, is in verse 62. How does Peter react when Jesus looks, when he records the words of Jesus that he had said about denying him three times? Verse 62, and he went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Facing our failure is, is, is painful. Perhaps you can think of times where you had to face up to failure. That was hard, that was painful, it was hurtful. You thought of the Lord, you thought of others. But failure does need to be faced up to. And that failure and facing up to the failure leads to change and it leads to repentance and it leads to enjoyment of forgiveness and it leads to an upturn that there is a a curtailing of Peter's experience and his denying and we'll see a little bit more of it as we go on. So that gives encouragement, doesn't it? As we see that aspect of what Peter went through. So there is this denying recorded for us which helps us, serves us, teaches us in our own failings. But as Tony said, there are very much two characters here uh, that we read about and two different attitudes and uh, approaches. We have it reflected really in the title, Failure and Faithfulness. And so we're moving on, our attention goes more directly to, to Jesus and how he is treated. And firstly, we see despising in verses 63 to 65, despising of Jesus. Failure and faithfulness whilst Peter is easily knocked off course, Jesus is steadfast and Jesus is enduring. And part of what he has to endure is the treatment from those who are guarding him at the high priest's house. We read of it in 63 to 65. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Well, none of us likes to be made fun of, 
to be the butt of jokes. And here they sense an opportunity to to taunt, uh, to tease, to provoke Jesus. They treat him like a punch bag. They treat him like a plaything. A soldier's version of blind man's buff as they taunt him over prophecy. It's utterly humiliating. As not a, an occasional comment. It says there, and they said many, many other things against him. They literally did add insult to injury. It's described as blasphemous. And as you think about Jesus in this situation, aren't you amazed at his um, lack of retaliation? What an example he, he is to us. This is picked up again by Peter in one of his letters. Uh, 1 Peter 2:23, talking of Jesus. He suffered as an example when he was reviled or insulted. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Of course, he could have flattened a lot of them. Of course, he knew exactly who was telling him uh, to, to, to prophesy and who hit him. He could have judged them immediately. A lack of retaliation. Also is amazing his, his endurance. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus has said this must happen already in a couple of chapters before in Luke that he would need to endure the, the, the maltreatment and the mockery of the soldiers and he did. He was fulfilling an ancient prophecy of what this suffering servant, this Messiah, would do. In Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And uh, as one whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Faithfully enduring the despising of the guards. And it was this sort of faithfulness, through this sort of suffering, that was paying the price for the failures of Peter. It was this sort of faithfulness, through this sort of suffering, that was paying the price for my failures and was paying the price for your failures, believer. We see the despising of Jesus. But then as the passage unfolds further, as well as denying and despising, we see declaring. We see declaring in the end part of the chapter. So a council now of religious leaders has been called to deal with Jesus. It's known as the Sanhedrin. Um, If they were all there, it was in excess of 70 religious leaders. Um, Peter couldn't face a few unknown individuals round the fire. Here Jesus stands before the big collection of what seemed like the mighty and powerful. And Jesus isn't given way to cowardice and he isn't taking the escape route. The other Gospels tell us more about the injustice of this hearing at the high priest's house. False witnesses are called, trumped up charges are laid against Jesus. But Luke focuses particularly on what is declared about Jesus. Often by others, but which he clearly acknowledges and doesn't disagree with. There is declaring going on in this council. We've already seen in these last few verses that they were referring to him as a prophet. 
in a mocking way. They weren't taking it seriously, but they knew that he claimed to be a prophet. And now as we go further into this hearing, in the way it's recorded by Luke, that, that if you like, the, the, the um, descriptions of Jesus escalate. They, they escalate, they go upwards. And we see it as he's questioned in verse 67. Well, let's start verse 66. When the day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. So they talk of him being the Christ. That's already been made very clear in the Gospel about Jesus being the Christ and it's a question that they ask him about. Well, they don't believe this and Jesus knows they won't believe it despite all he has said and despite all he has done. He doesn't contradict what they say but he takes it further with really a dumbfounding declaration. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe and if I ask you, you will not answer. Verse 69, but from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Let me say that again because that's an amazing thing that Jesus has said. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. The Son of Man. The Son of Man language brings out uh, the words of a prophecy given hundreds of years before by Daniel of a special coming one who would be placed in a position of authority. It's in Daniel 7 and verses 13 to 14. In Daniel's vision, he says, I, I beheld with the cloud, behold, the clouds of heaven there came, one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So he adds that to just replying to the Christ. He talks about the Son of Man and he says about the Son of Man from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So, it was 70 years ago today that a young lady travelling through Kenya realised that she was now the Queen of the United Kingdom and its territories. She didn't literally take to the throne that day. She was a long way from the country. But she became our monarch. Accession Day, it's called. She became our monarch and she would be called uh, Her Majesty. She was now royalty over the country. She would be enthroned. And Jesus here talks about his own enthronement on the right hand of the Father in a place of tremendous majesty and honour, a place of the pinnacle of authority, uh, uh, prestige, uh, status. And that is where he would be placed. Prophet, Christ, Son of Man, enthroned. They have a further question. which takes us even to further heights. As they say in verse 70, so they said, are you the Son of God? And he said to them, you say that I am. If it wasn't true, Jesus would have denied it. His words are really, you said it. It means in the language 
that it said, you've said it yourself. You've declared it for me. You are the Son of God. Well, for them, they had their sort of, their blasphemy charge confirmed. It's something they could run with and take with. But perhaps unwittingly, they have escalated up different descriptions of Jesus, prophet, Christ, son of man, son of God. Claims that would be underlined as he was raised again in three days' time. Claims that would be reinforced as on the day of Pentecost, the enthroned Jesus gives the Spirit to his church. We have declaring, amazing declarations of Jesus within this hearing. And so I want to ask, what can you say about Jesus? Can you say he's a prophet? Well, the majority of the world's population could say that much. That's a start, a prophet, a good teacher, teaching something from God. Can you say he's the Christ? Can you say he's the son of man when you think of king uh, ruling as from Daniel? Can you say he's the son of God? Mary heard at the very start of this gospel these words, Luke 1 verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of God that's the point where we need to get to Romans 10 tells us in verse 9 if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved so we have some declaring here even at the hearing itself and I want to round it all up now with, with one final quote, calling it the speech, if you can read that, the speech. Seven weeks later, after the visible resurrection of Jesus, on that day of Pentecost that I refer to, thousands are gathered together in Jerusalem, including many of these rulers who would have been in judgment on that day. Strange things have been happening. People have been speaking in languages, fluently in languages that they'd never learned, speaking things about God. Streaks of fire were coming down from heaven on that occasion. In the midst of all that, one man stands up to bravely declare what is happening. This is part of his speech, Acts 2, verses 32 to 33. He's talking about Jesus and he's declaring them to the people there and he says, This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Who is giving this speech? Who is declaring to thousands of people in Jerusalem, many of which are not particularly pleased with him, who is declaring that Jesus is now enthroned as the Son of God on the right hand of the Father? It's Peter. It's Peter. Failing, cowardly, Peter is now declaring to thousands the truth that Jesus was stating about himself on that day, on the day when Peter himself failed about seven weeks earlier. Well, you may have much failure in your life, much failure behind you, but by God's grace, it will be great if as well you are restored to stand confidently like Peter, to stand for who Jesus is, to make a stand for him who sits on the throne. Take courage from God's grace to Peter, his restoration and what he was able 
to declare. Do you take courage from that? I hope you do. Our final song is going to tie in, but we will have a moment's quiet first before we sing it. There may be some aspect of what we've looked at this morning. We just want to bring to the Lord in a private prayer before we sing our last song. Well, in our final song, we have both uh, an acknowledgement of how low Jesus came and what he went through, um, feeling a sensitive response to that. And then as we move on to the second part, we recognise Jesus in his highness. So we have both parts, if you like, of the sermon, a, a humble recognition. Jesus' sufferings, or three parts really, and then his, what we call his exaltation. So... Let's sing then, Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. to you as those who have to confess failure, have to confess repeated failure, missing the mark. We thank you for a saviour who came for sinners. Lord, we do pray for strength to go forward. We do pray for restoration. We do pray for courage. We do pray for consistency. But we thank you that most of all we have a consistent, faithful, steadfast saviour who went to the cross for us and who is now exalted in the heavens. And we say that our confidence is in him, our Saviour, and we praise you for him. Amen.